0: The CNBC app, global market news in one place. Customizable sections and personalized alerts. Stocks tracking, interactive charts and market insights all in your hands. Stay connected, stay informed. Download the CNBC app today.
1: Well, we got there eventually. We got a full house on Squawk Box for the first time this year. Karen Cho has joined me. Arabina Gamede is here. And there you go, look, the whole cast. What more do you want? Uh, These are your headlines. The Dow tumbles nearly 300 points as investors pull profits after the Fed minutes show uncertainty about rate cuts, whilst the Richmond Fed President Thomas Barkin keeps the door open to
2: hikes. The U.S. economy continues to defy expectations. Strong demand isn't the solution to above-target inflation. And that's why the potential for additional rate hikes remains on the table.
1: But Chinese services activity hits a 500. But a disappointing Labour report triggers more calls for further monetary easing, sending bond yields to their lowest level in more than three years.
3: A twist in the battle for Disney's boardroom, the House of Mouse wins the backing of twin hedge funds as the business tries to stave off a challenge from a third activist investor. Telefonica strikes a deal with unions laying off up to a fifth of its domestic workforce as part of efforts to cut costs far fewer than originally planned.
0: And oil prices spiking with markets on edge amid supply restrictions through the Red Sea and heightened tensions in the broader region after a bomb attack in Iran kills almost 100 people.
1: A warm welcome and happy New Year, to yes. Karen. Show, how happy are you? Happy
3: New Year, fantastic. I've You've been finally dragged
1: yourself from the Alps. I've
3: been sliding down <laughs> slopes, but apparently not the other, one, the I, only I, one I out I there. I hear you
1: were very, very elegant. It was like Franz <laughs> clamour all over again.
3: But I'm going the same, same direction of markets. You know, we start at the peak. Oh, very good. And then we start to slide. Yeah, do you think down.
1: they're a bit? Pe- I mean, on the piece. <laughs> They're a bit pissed off, aren't they? they let's are be honest about off. it, because they didn't get what they wanted already from the Federal Reserve. So they're having, a little, I think, a little bit of a hissy fit, if I I may can say. tell you, there
3: are ways down a slope and there are ways down a slope. Yes. So let's see how we get down as we climb off the peak. Is it going to be one of those nice um, swivel turns, nice parallel turns down, or is it going to be one of those sort of oh, clutch on and get dragged back down the mountain? It's only the
1: expectations from the market that has gone wrong so far this year. Actually, nothing else. If you look at the data of the last 24 hours, and I know we're going to talk to this uh, with our guests and, and, and throughout the next days and weeks, but the fact of the matter is the data is beautifully behaved at the moment. It's only the fact that the market wanted more. From They wanted, oh, you, we discussed rate cuts for March for the start of the first quarter, you know, involved the second quarter. The fact of the matter is the market has asked for 150. The Fed has said we think 75, but the market said we want it now. It is that petulant child once again. I
3: think the communication's been somewhat of an issue too. I mean, for <laughs> m- most of last year, we were not allowed to talk about the rate cuts. It was yes. too soon. It was premature. The Fed wasn't uh, really wanting to open that uh, avenue of conversation, and not just the Fed, the ECB as because well. Because they
1: got transitory very wrong. To exactly,
3: start with. and you know, and let's just put the ECB right in there. The conversations we've had from Annetta, our correspondent for the ECB, saying, look, it's too early to talk about rate cuts. If we're talking about a year this year where we are looking at rate cuts, why was it too early to talk about it last year when it's part of the discussion point? Now I think investors are saying, well, just how many we're getting and the Fed's trying to push back and we saw that in the minutes yesterday. It's not as many as you anticipate to 150 odd basis points the market's looking at. The Fed's saying 75 basis points. It's not the same amount. So someone's wrong and that gap has to be closed. But for me, there's still a communication issue as to whether the landing is going to be smooth. The Fed is communicating that it will be and many in the markets believe it's going to be a perfect landing as well. But uh, just how many rate cuts are we going to get based on that economic situation and the job market? said
1: there, uh, The two comments you just made are juxtaposed next to each other. A beautifully smooth landing does not equal aggressive emergency rate cuts. If the economy is exactly, relatively opposite. robust uh, uh, and there is no crisis in the jobs market and actually inflation is tamed... And actually, the market can land beautifully. And, and like the, for instance, we saw the the ISM data yesterday. It was a little bit of an uptick for manufacturing, so a welcome relief there as well. If that is the case, you're not going to get the very, very aggressive rate cuts that come from the back of a concern about a recessionary scenario.
3: So far, what has held up, it's been a real prop, has been the labour market, right? And if we see that market turn aggressively, which is why I think the market's very much looking at the non-farm payrolls report this week. But if you start to see a wobble taking place in the employment market, then all bets are off in terms of this psychology around a soft landing.
1: Superb. Right. Well, let's crack on then, because I know we've got uh, Neil Wilson waiting to uh, chip in on this conversation. Uh, Fed officials expect interest rates to remain high for some time, according to minutes from December's uh, meeting. Raising doubts the central bank will start cutting from March. By the way, Goldman Sachs's copy uh, overnight said, yes, we still think they're going to cut in March. Uh, The Fed's dot plot has signaled, as Karen just discussed, uh, three rate cuts this year, with the market pricing in the first cut for the end of the first quarter. Officials cited an unusually elevated degree of uncertainty, absolutely, uh, regarding the policy path uh, further muddying the water for the market. Job openings in the United States fell to a nearly three-year low. They're still higher, by the way, than pre-pandemic. Just want you to know that. It's still better than pre-pandemic in terms of job openings. Anyway, they fell to a nearly three-year low in November as demand for workers cooled, according to the uh, JOLTS report. Job openings stood at 1.4 to each available worker. Meanwhile, U.S. manufacturing, as I discussed, uh, activity contracted for the 14th consecutive month in December. The ISM manufacturing, though, did come in at 47.4. Now, that was a rise, as I say, from the November level, but remaining in contraction. The Richmond Fed president uh, is... Thomas Barkin, and he warned the Fed could hike again. I don't does he mean it? Anyway, they could hike again amid robust consumer spending.
2: This landing could be delayed. The U.S. economy continues to defy expectations. Consumer spending is over 68 percent of the economy, and it's hard to make a case for a pullback as long as equity values are high and the labor market remains as tight as it is. Longer-term rates have dropped recently, which could stimulate demand in interest-sensitive sectors such as housing. And while you might think this would be a first-class problem, strong demand isn't the solution to above-target inflation. And that's why the potential for additional rate hikes remains on the table. So a soft landing is increasingly conceivable, but in no way inevitable.
1: Uh, Neil Wilson is the co-CEO of EJF Capital. And I did something off-air. I, I, I very rudely interrupted him because we had the end of that sound. So what I'll do is, I, rather than starting on the Fed, I'll, I'll start where you want to start, because we, we'll, we'll talk about the Fed in a few moments' time. But, but but in terms of what the investors aren't necessarily attuning themselves to, you added in just off camera there, uh, the political situation, plus the bit I'm interested in is, is what you didn't get to say because I interrupted you.
2: Well, uh, first of all, thank you very much for having me. Uh, happy New Year. Um, no, I think, I think uh, the political aspect of 2024 is very important because the Fed historically has tended to more raise rates as opposed to decrease rates in an election year. And in 2024, in January, you're going to have two primaries. You're going to have the Iowa caucus and you're going to have the New Hampshire primary, South Carolina primary. By March, you may have your lineup. Wow. And I think that the Fed will absolutely try to be independent in terms of their presentations. So that would be that, that would say err on the side of the 75 basis points cuts to the 150. You're going to be on the you're going to be on the more conservative end. Um, I do think that there is a there is a very if you're a better, you would obviously go with Trump versus Biden and Trump win on the, on the national polls. Subject to the Supreme Court coming to his rescue in Colorado. I, I think they will. I think that one's actually quite yeah. that one's quite, quite because certain. it has a Republican bias to it. It, it does, the but appointing judges—that is, yeah. indeed, indeed—and and also there was no uh, due process under the Fourteenth Amendment. You know, it's okay. getting legalistic, but I, I do think that's an easy one. That, that's either nine zero eight one. That's not—that's okay. not, that's, that's not difficult. But I think in terms of as a market participant, um, you're going to have two primaries in January. You're going to have the Iowa caucus, and you're going to have the New Hampshire primary. And the Iowa caucus is not very telling, but the New Hampshire one is and then South Carolina. So if you're if you're a real better, you would say there is a chance that Biden steps down um, and that you have Gavin Newsom as your nominee. That would be the extreme view. And then, you know, um, Nikki Haley can draw an inside straight because she is doing very well in New Hampshire. Um, And if she actually pulled out a win, then it gets interesting because her home state is South Carolina, the next one. Highly unlikely, but it's possible. And I think from an investor standpoint, if you have Biden versus Trump, you're going to have a mixed Congress, most likely. Democrats will probably pull back the House, and the Republicans have a lucky kind of setup for the 2024 election. So there's more Democrats up for re election than Republicans in swing states. That would be a split Congress. So a split Congress means no fiscal change, um, it means the Trump tax cuts that expire in 2027 can be reinstated and they can be used as a kind of a a way to negotiate um, you know, some kind of deal for the for the for the economy. So so again, I would I would err on the side of the seventy five basis points as opposed to the one fifty because of all that. It
3: is fascinating that you're pulling the politics straight into the conversation as we begin twenty twenty four. Do you think the markets are also thinking, look, it's gonna be a bumpy year with the presidential elections. Is that why we're seeing a sell off already?
2: Yes, and I, look, I, I, I'll use a little local Luke Littler effect, right? I mean, at the end of November. Hang <laughs> hey, you know, on, we, we need to tell people who Luke Littler is. I didn't even know
1: who he was until about 24 hours. I this didn't, is I uh, didn't know a 16 year old gentleman who uh, uh, has come very close to winning the World Darts Championship. Is that right?
2: 16 years of old age. But no one America really don't even know what darts is. They think it's just. But the point is, at the end of November, the market was saying the first rate cut will be in May. Then we had the Santa Claus rally, and now we're back to... That was the
3: Powell rally, though. That wasn't really the Santa Claus rally this time. Jay Powell inspired that. Yeah,
2: no, he did. He did. He, he definitely donned the, uh, the Santa Claus uh, uh, garb and, and gave you that rally. But now we're back to where we were at the end of November, which is the first rate cut is probably most likely going to be May. Um, and, and I think that you're just getting the hangover effect. Um, and and profit-taking. I think that's what happens. So I I think it's going to be a very, uh, you know, it could be a positive year in the market, I think, as rates, once they start stabilizing and slowly come in. But again, I would err on the side of May as the first one, and they're really not going to want want to rock the boat, the Fed.
3: As you talk about a positive year in markets, is it going to be a year of breadth? Because last year was such a narrow rally, a a handful of stocks, seven seven stocks, seven names. Does the rally extend out around, around various different sectors now?
2: Um, I think so. And I think you're also going to see as rates come in, there's going to be some interesting areas like REITs, for example, which mm-hmm. rely on a high leverage. So as rates come in, that'll be an interesting area. Um, I think that there's also the, you know, we, we specialize in financial. So I'd say, again, I, on the bank side, there's the Basel III endgame. That affects just the biggest banks in America. Um, and so kind of the, the smaller banks will, will have some, some potential uh, because they're not impacted by that. Um, uh, so it's non-bank financial institutions and it's small banks that will benefit. Um, so I, th- I think those – but in terms of the, the breadth of the market, as rates come in, uh, you know, people have taken their profits on their growth stocks. You know, growth will be will be kind of coming back into vogue as opposed to the value we saw at the last, last quarter of uh, 2024. So,
1: 2023, I'm sorry. So, so growth – so I mean, we're looking at you know, five of the biggest names on the screen there um, with their enormous rallies last year. And uh, there were others amongst that. You know The Magnificent Seven also had extraordinary. Rally. So sorry, do those stocks actually go down as we say rotation? They remain stagnant or, or actually they just befo- are
2: underperforming compared with other stocks? No, I think they'll, I think they'll perform well. I think you've seen the profit taking on these names.
1: We saw profit taking for th- about three weeks after. I mean, the profit taking is minuscule compared to the levels they've got to. I mean, where's Nvidia? Let's have a look. Can we have a look at Nvidia? Uh, can you put Nvidia up, Adam? Uh, oh, there we go. Two hundred and
2: thirty-nine percent, even after the profit taking. Right, right. No, no, it's it, it is quite extraordinary. Look, the AI uh, the AI phenomenon is is a real one in our view. Um, but should should Nvidia be up another two hundred percent? Of course not. But I but I do think to answer Karen's question, I do think you'll see a broader. Um, well, you I don't know how long you've been in this business,
1: but I'm gathering. I would say you've been around a couple of decades plus as well. You, 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 how many times have you <clears throat> recommended buying stocks that trade over twenty times sales? Not often, because
2: we're more value oriented. Exactly. So <laughs> um,
1: you know, so, so, you know, very sober, great judges
2: of the market. You're not losing your head over these stocks, are you? No, I mean, look, a lot of it's retail driven. I mean, let's let's be yeah. let's be um, kind of kind of coy, or not not be coy about it. I mean, it's retail has driven up the, the big seven in many ways, but it's also fundamentally who wins in this AI. Uh, in the AI implementation, it's going to be the folks who have the data, and, and the names you just put up there are the folks who have the data, and, and they're going to benefit. And I think you're also getting, at least in the U.S., you're starting to get a movement towards AI regulation. Europe's been a little bit ahead, uh, Rishi Sunak's been pushing it. I, I think that that regulatory world, it always helps the incumbents. And so I think that just shouldn't be lost on people.
3: Can I ask you a little bit further about the Fed? Because at this stage, there is a massive assumption in the market that the Fed's got it right, that there's not going to be a wobble, that it can land this rate-hiking cycle very well on a very narrow strip. Is there a risk to that scenario? What could possibly go wrong in 2024 around the economy?
2: Well, look, I mean, there's always the geopolitical risks, right? You have, you have two wars kind of going on. That Those are issues. Um, you also have the risk of China and Taiwan. They've been very direct, and Xi has in terms of his comments. Um, I also think you can have something like a Treasury auction go wrong. Uh, you can have a blow-up in a, in a non-bank you know, financial, um, and, and you know, the EU is looking at that. That's news you know, that they're focusing on that. Those are where your, your kind of outlier risks would happen. But I do think it will be a calm year. And I, and I agree with what you said, Karen, before I came on, which is that the, the Fed's communication is not, you know, Powell overdid it. He did, he did don the, you know, the Santa Claus outfit. But I think that you've seen the pullback as is, is, is recently as yesterday with Barkin. I would also note that there's going to be four new voting members. It happens every calendar year. The four new voting members, with the exception of one, are, are much, much more on the hawkish end of the spectrum. Again, that goes towards my overall thesis that you're going to have less rate cuts from the Fed this year than what the market is certainly telling you.
3: That's key, isn't it? So if we get fewer rate cuts than the market anticipates, does that mean this is a Fed that could have execution risk? Because I think there is a view out there, look, you've got inflation coming back in line with what expectations should be. We've taken a heat out of the the post-pandemic trends. We're getting back to normal rates of inflation in a target zone in the last couple of months. Does that mean if we've got more hawkish members of the Fed? That they could actually get it wrong. They could remain in too restrictive territory for the economy.
2: They, they could, absolutely. And especially, again, because it's an, uh, an election year. What I would point out to the traders out there is that you're, before the, the March 20th Fed meeting, we all, we all believe January 30, 31, they're not going to raise rate. No one believes that, uh, even the most exuberant among us. But in the March meeting, between now and then, there are going to be three payroll prints, including the one tomorrow. Um, And there's going to be three CPI prints, and I think those data points are what traders should be focused on in terms of day trade, you know, people are focusing on on short-term trading.
1: Got a lovely piece in the Atlantic Council um, that um, John Lipsky and Sophia Bush has written as well. Um, Very interesting. Over the past 60 years, the majority of leading economists, both public and private, how many of the last eight recessions have they um, predicted? It's going to be more than eight. (laughs) No. Well, here we go. No, they didn't predict one of them. Right. Uh, According to John Lipsky and Sophia Bush, this is again, um, our producer Britt gave me this one. Um, Over the last 60 years, the majority of leading economists, both public and private, have failed to predict every single one of the eight recessions we've experienced in the United States. Not saying the market is right, not saying the market's wrong, but I think that's a very interesting stat from uh, John Lipsky there uh, and Sophia Bush. Lovely to see you uh, and I look forward to seeing lots more of you uh, joining Karen and myself and the team. Uh, On Scorebox, uh, Neil Wilson, co-CEO of EJF Capital. And just on a programming note, our U.S. colleagues will get further insight into the strength or weakness, whatever it may be, of the U.S. economy when they speak to uh, Neela Richardson, the ADP chief economist. That interview is at 1415CT today. And what I'll do is I'll make sure we get a bit of sound from Neela because she's an excellent voice on the labor market. Arabile.
0: Well, Steve, coming up on the show, Chinese services activity grows at the fastest rate in six months. But it's, all not, it's not all rosy for the world's second-largest economy. We'll discuss more after the break. Plus, recent supply disruptions and a green transition push copper to shine bright in 2024. We'll have more from the Commodities Corner later this hour. And later on the show, we'll bring you developments from the Israel-Hamas conflict and comments from Hezbollah when we're joined by Professor Yossi Meckelberg, Associate Fellow at the Middle East and North America Programme at Chatham House. That's at 1045 CET.
3: China's services activity posted its fastest expansion in five months in December. The Kaijin Services PMI rose to 52.9, the highest reading since July, boosted by growth in new business and a resilient foreign demand. Let's get out to Lin Lin for more. Lin, just walk us through these numbers because they come in contrast to another reading on the
4: services sector recently. Yes, Karen, and uh, Happy New Year to you. In terms of the uh, services PMI from the Caixin survey, a lot of that coming down to, as you were talking about, that uh, foreign demand coming through in terms of travel for the month of December. The latest data showing that that was up close to 30% with uh, the benefit of that visa-free travel policy for a number of European countries really playing through, the likes of Germany, France and Italy. And Perhaps we will see that also flow through to Q1 of this year, given, of course, we got data about the New Year holiday, those three days. That's showing that cross-border travel is at uh, pre-COVID levels, 2019 levels, and also economists talking about the Lunar New Year, the biggest uh, holiday, of course, for China uh, coming in February as well. Uh, But, of course, as you say, there is a bit of that disparity playing through, Uh, 52.9 for December on the... The Taiching side and 50.4 for the official number. I just spoke uh, with the economist uh, Michelle Lam from Societe Generale, who said that uh, perhaps a bit of that is to do with the fact that a lot of the hospitality sector as well as sort of tourism related firms are more measured by that Taiching survey. And so, broadly speaking, you've got those private, smaller firms doing much better than the bigger state owned firms. She also said that uh, the TaiShing survey uh, will measure a lot of those firms located in the coastal regions and sort of broadly speaking, during holiday times, they travel a little bit more. But of course, when you look at the overall trend in terms of uh, services, we are seeing, a, of course, a solid rebound after after the COVID restrictions fell away, but that petering out a bit in terms of Q4 of 2023. And broadly speaking, economists are putting that down to a of course, concerns around jobs, of course, also concerns around income growth and still that overhang from the property sector. And certainly uh, when you look at the markets, despite this more encouraging, uh, encouraging number coming through, that's not flowing out to the stocks in relation to discretionaries as well as tourism. Guys, it's back to you thank you very much for bringing us the latest there chinese government bond yields slumped to their
3: lowest level since 2020 amid weaker economic data at the back end of last year and expectations of further monetary easing yields spiked in recent months amid concerns over debt issuance before falling after cash injections from the pboc china's economic recovery is stalling amid weak demand and an ongoing property crisis while official manufacturing pmi shrank for a third straight month in december
1: just on that, uh, and I'll do this read. No, 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 I'll do this read next because I don't upset Adam. It's, it's only day four of the year. Uh, Chinese workers are also grappling with the slowdown in wage growth. But that's not funny, by the way. Uh, according to recruitment platform Xiaoping, uh, wages in the country's 38 major cities fell by a record 1.3% year on year last quarter. The average starting salary was a little under $1,500 a month. Um, so I was going to raise some here, but, but the point I was making there is oh, my goodness me, we're worried about deflation in China, hence the bond yield slumping. Whereas when we had the bull market at the end of last year on um, the Western markets, bond yield slump because we're going to have a great Goldilocks scenario. It's amazing mm. how quickly, how close the two are, because one's worried about deflation. The other one's are talking about a soft landing on inflation as well. That was that was one point as well. But um, I just want to make one more point, then the bowman's coming in. Um, the story about China's economy. I referenced the piece on Atlantic Council from John Lipsky and Sophia Bush, John Lipsky, formerly of the IMF Parish, as well. We've got a lovely chart, actually, which um, producer Brittany, shout out to her, good morning to you, uh, has uh, put forward to us. And just have a look at this chart as well. It's talking about um, the outstanding loan growth in China in manufacturing versus property. Now, we've talked a lot about Evergrande and all that, haven't I, you and I? So, look, so property, we know we know what's going on there, don't we, pretty much? It, it's had a major blip. Whether we're near the bottom or not, that's what we'll discuss throughout 2024. But look at the outstanding loan growth. At the same time, we started seeing problems in the property sector absolutely surging from pretty much Covid start to now. Uh, And great piece from Lipsky and Bush on this one as well. If China pumps hundreds of billions into its manufacturing sector, Beijing is going to need someone to buy up all those goods. And with its own domestic consumption sitting near all time lows, which we mentioned with the wages there as well, China will have to look back to the West. Get ready for a wave of electric vehicles, car batteries and wind turbines headed our way. Now, this is the final point, and I'll move on to uh, something else after this. United States and Europe are not going to take that well as the Chinese try to scale up on areas where they are trying to grow their own manufacturing. So trade tension potentially.
3: I did find it somewhat amusing that we've rolled out the old chestnut of stimulus when we were hoping for it all of last year, and it just didn't materialise in any fashion that made any difference to the Chinese economy. Yet here we are in 2024 with the same old hope that authorities will stimulate in terms of the property market, that's been uh, a massive issue still. The cleanup has been taking place, but it's not going to happen quickly, and it's not just in these big developers that were encouraged. It's, so you've got debt issues elsewhere across in some of these uh, government entities, local government entities, so that's still an issue. How do we step away from that problem in 2024? Isn't it a longer-term problem? And I wonder whether China can simply just grow its way out of some of these issues by selling to the West. I would argue that if you see the stimulus, you fuel the further problems that have already been in the property market, and you're going to see pressure again on bond markets in the opposite direction. So the, the lower bond yield has been actually quite kind of supportive for China in 2023.
1: Yeah, I mean, the only thing I say is show me the money. Who, who's got the money? I mean, you, you talk about China. I'll, I'll say globally, who's got the money to stimulate? Whose debt to GDP sponsors more heavy fiscal spending possibly the Germans, but we saw at the tail end of last year, they can't do it because the Constitutional Court breaks on increased debt. Well, they're back in force as well. So who who has the firepower can do it, legally or politically, and it's a tricky one.
3: Thank you for listening to Squawk Box Europe Express.
1: For more market-moving news, you can head to cnbc.com or join us again on the show with me, Steve Sedgwick, and Karen Cho, weekdays on CNBC.